I'd like to thank our top sponsors, Marcella Schiriak, Anders Berge Christiansen, and Öde Nerdrum for making this show possible. And welcome to the 14th episode of The Cave of Apelles. When did the modern concept of art originate? What role did cultural politics play in making it a natural part of our society? Not the least, what is the relation between the invention of art and the appearance of kitsch? Whom better to discuss these questions than my guest for the evening, art sociologist Doug Swolil. I'm glad to have you on the show. Thank you. So before I lay out the topics for the evening, can you say a little bit about what an art sociologist actually does? An art sociologist studies uh, what they call the field of art, the world of art, as a small society within the large society. And it especially focuses on the relationship between the small art society and the large society. And the influences that are played out from the large society into the small society. And there we try to uh, identify what kind of influences uh, are felt within the small art society. And there are especially two influences that I have tried to study. That is the influence from the political field, uh, the state, uh, the government, and the influence from the market. Uh, yeah. Right. That is. Because they are seen as two opposites yeah, yeah. Uh, generally. Yeah. yeah. And, and then I try to uh, find out uh, uh, what kind of influences uh, do these two external factors have on what is going on within the field of art. Right. Yeah. So you're, you're basically just studying it, you're not sort of taking sides or having preferences or whatever. No. Right. So. I think um, cultural politics is an uh, is uh, uh, cultural politics in Norway, of which you've you've written four volumes at least, uh, is a good uh, case study of how the state comes in and helps establish the concept of fine art in Norway and in, in Europe in general, and um, we'll look at how that is done through on a practical level through institution building that you you've been um, talking about, and. Also, I'd like to hear what are the principles of art? And of course, we'll connect that to uh, the, the principles um, that were excluded from the art field. I mean, if you have Salvador Dali here as the representative of art, obviously there's a certain difference between that and the portrait by Odnerdrum here. And uh, you have this funny term. I don't know if it's yours. 
but it's the art police. And you talk about the curatoriate, and uh, you talk about the belief and the faith in the pure art. So uh, those are things will come into uh, as well, and, and uh, at least, uh, and then also how culture politics may politicize culture. So maybe we should just uh, start there. Like what happens in Norway with the establishment of the institutions, different art institutions, museums, etc. Um, in all European countries, uh, what really triggered the development of the a kind of independence of this small society of art within the large society was the establishment of art academies right. in the 18th and uh, in the beginning of the 19th centuries. Because they were state-governed either by uh, the kings and uh, the tsars or by uh, democratic governments. Uh, the, their, these academies were a kind of primitive art associations where artists could, after their own choice, elect the members they found good enough and they uh, you should have a certain training you should pass a kind of exam uh, a, a test piece of your your quality and then you could be elected and because of this existence of this uh, kind of art association the governments let these artists decide what was quality. So they basically acknowledge them as representatives of good quality and, and gave them that, that position, that yes. official position yeah. as experts. This is the, the, the first phase, the first period of uh, the management of art policy by artists associations. Right. The, the, uh, these uh, academies were um, given the power to decide in all aesthetic matters within its state, within its, its con country. Right. So uh, when uh, art museums began to be established, very often these artists in the art academies were put in governing positions in the art museums. Right. When scholarships started to be given by the states, this artist association was, that, uh, was the body that decided who should get these scholarships among the young art artists. So they developed a large power and the, 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 the most visible sign of this power were the annual exhibitions where uh, the art academy acted as a jury so right yeah, so and they also decided who sh who should enter this this ac academy so therefore you they had a very high degree of power and there were no politicians involved in that just painters no, sculptors it, it was that was uh, the, the way that the state uh, 
uh, had uh, confidence in the academy that it could uh, govern its own affairs without, uh, we, we're talking about uh, an arm's length distance between right. the state and the art. And this principle, which is still valid today in most democratic countries, uh, it started w uh, with the establishment of the modern art academies. Right. And so, this so, so therefore, we, we can say that the state uh, is, uh, stands behind the development or the independence of art. Right. Yeah. And this is not a, a, a Norwegian phenomenon only, this is across Europe. Yes, yes it's, right. it's, it, or it, it's uh, both in the old uh, authoritarian state where the king had all power and also within the democratic states like Norway. So, and, and, and this model has been followed since. Hmm. So the, 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 the relationship between democratic states and the field of art uh, was founded uh, by the establishment of the, this, this type of art uh, academies. Right. Yeah. And, but there, <coughs> uh, but all the time, uh, you had something we can call the art market. Who paid for the art that was produced? Uh, in the beginning, uh, art was ordered by the kings and the, nob the nobility and even the government. But uh, as uh, time went on, uh, there was, there developed an, an anonymous market where the artists worked in their workshops, in their ateliers, without knowing who would buy this kind of work. Mm -hmm. And the, the prominent place of uh, marketing works of art on the anonymous art market was in art exhibitions. Right, and these are private exhibitions. You're not, not public you... or private, because okay. uh, you had you the the coexistence, especially all this uh, the annual exhibition of the academies and the private uh, galleries and the private art associations uh, uh, w w that develops especially in, in all Germanic-speaking countries. Mm. Uh, Germany, Sweden, Denmark, Norway, Switzerland, Austria. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, uh, but then there's the, the situation where um, uh, the, these private institutions, or not the institutions, but you have um, art, uh, what do you call this art uh, organizations or art um, no art societies? I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, that are a, a central part of the the sort of bourgeois period. Yes. And I think one one thing that strikes me is uh, reading about Norwegian uh, cultural life in 19th century. A lot of these things were private in the beginning, like the national theater. Yeah. Uh, but were quickly taken over, by, or not taken over by the state, but, but they wanted no, to have no, the no, state to no, come in no. and, and support. No, that, that is a common trait, uh, yeah. at least in, in the Norwegian tradition, right. that uh, uh, in the start, uh, 
private individuals take an initiative and when this initiative uh, has been uh, established and proved its worth, mm. proved its cultural political worth, then the uh, state will come in and say, we will take it over. We will now take responsibility for the financing. Mm. But, but by doing that, uh, they will also reduce some of the independence right. of the private actors and of the actors or the artists them, themselves. Yeah, yeah and th there are a couple of things I wanted to mention on that point. Yeah. Um, one thing that, that struck me, <clears throat> because I've been in some uh, discussions about cultural politics, um, you can talk about the consequences today, and I, I'd like to get to that uh, later in the conversation. But if you look at um, the 19th century, for example, in the heyday of Norwegian painting, National Romanticism, and this is, of course, speaking of our art kitsch dichotomy here, this is what is uh, one of those styles that they love to ridicule as sentimental and old-fashioned and everything is wrong. Uh, but in that time, this is the very beginning of, of state intervention or what you would call it in, in cultural life or in art politics. Um, people or painters who would work in that style would then be chosen by a commissar and sent to the world exhibitions. They would have their, uh, you know, the, the travel uh, expenses paid. And not only that, but you know, coming to these international exhibitions, of course, they would also reach the private market in addition to that. And I always like to sort of twist that and I say, well, because I'm, as a figurative painter, I'm sort of supposed to be sort of on the side of national romanticism and that there's a lot of good things there. But you could also twist it and you could say, well, because of this support for national romanticism, what kind of works were not made? because there are certain things that were not supported. I mean, do you see any kind of problem with that uh, question? What? Uh, that the state comes in you, and... You know, yeah. the, the, the private art market uh, functions uh, in a way that every taste uh, you and I and everybody else will have will be satisfied by a private gallery. Mm -hmm. I used to say there is a private gallery for any artist and there is a, an artist for any taste. And uh, the private art galleries, they um, let uh, the taste of the audience meet the artist that suits this taste mm. and they take care of the economy of each single artist in this way and the, the, the artist is a possibility for artists to escape at least financially uh, the art police that is very exclusive. You know, the, 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 the market is a safe haven mm -hmm. for artists that are not elected by the academies, mm -hmm. by the elite of, art, of artists. 
Yeah. Oh. And there are several ways to go from there, I guess, because <clears throat> in your um, in this book of yours that I read preparing for a conversation, unfortunately, I think it's only in Norwegian. Yes. <laughs> so any publishers out there oh. have it published. This is art. Um, you talk a lot about uh, about uh, uh, symbolic power, and you talk about that in other contexts as well. So, what about that um, relation between having symbolic power and having the private market no. available? Are those no. opposites, or I mean, no. you can you can sell well but not be acknowledged? No. No. In in my art sociological um, theory, uh, there are three powers at play within the field of art. There are the external political and the external commercial power. And then you have the internal power of uh, the art field. Right. Um, and the, the internal power of the art field is symbolic. Right. Yeah. And the, uh, you have symbolic power if you have the power to exclude to exclude artists in a way that is visible, that it's everybody to see. Uh, exclusive, this exclusive symbolic power is applied when, for instance, an art museum will purchase or not purchase right. when a jury for a jury exhibition will accept or not accept uh, when an, uh, an art gallery will take in an artist for exhibition or not take in. So uh, the, this, this small art society is full of thresholds with gatekeepers right. that will decide who should be uh, left forth and who shall be closed the door for. Right. Yeah. That is the how, and this power is only symbolic, and it is the major power within the field of art, because and symbolic power has a threefold value. Because if you have, if you receive, uh, and this symbolic power uh, is expressed as um, artistic. Uh, uh, artistic quality, or uh, um, yeah, an accepted artistic uh, quality, and it has only uh, effect within the field of art, right. because you cannot come to the within this logic. An artist cannot come to uh, the. A curator or a jury or a, a scholarship committee and say that I'm selling very well, therefore I am a good artist and deserve a scholarship. And, and you cannot say, I get a lot of public support from the government and say, therefore I am a good uh, artist and therefore I, I deserve being represented in the National Museum. Mm. Yeah. So th this, this symbolic power uh, artistic recognition is the, is is it's not innocent. 
the, the judgment on quality is not innocent mm. because it implies uh, economic consequences for the artist on the art market and it implies uh, economic consequences uh, uh, when it's coming to uh, who is getting public support, right. governmental support. Right. And you know, within the Norwegian system, the, the, the public support uh, is very important for the economy of most artists, right. artists. And public support in all this form is mostly decided by committees of other artists. Right. Yeah. And, and therefore, therefore, it is, and every group of artists will, I think, they will favor artists that uh, they like themselves or are like them, themselves. So it's, it's a system that has its flaws. It's, uh, and therefore, uh, at least in Norway, the tradition is that for uh, if you have artists in an, uh, a scholarship committee, they cannot be there for more than two years. Right. Uh, it, it, is, it is to ensure that it's not, it's not one uh, artistic point of view that is making this, uh, that is handling uh, uh, this distribution of symbolic power or artistic recognition. So I guess the uh, so-called academy battle is an example of that. Yes. Can you explain a little bit what, what that was, was all about? Yeah, I'm thinking about the historical or... or no, I'm thinking I, about the when they were establishing a, a class for classical figurative painting yeah, at the Art Academy yeah, in Oslo. Yeah, yeah. It, 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 is a, it is a very interesting story. Uh, because uh, it happened, this this uh, uh, discussion, this conflict happened when uh, young artists that wanted to uh, work traditionally, that uh, that uh, classical figurative, classically, yeah, they they want they they thought that their teachers were not able, for instance, to draw a hand. Right. They, they had not the classical education that was um, demanded by all artists in, in the past. So, uh, and, and this uh, demand for, uh, art, for uh, academy professors that were trained in drawing and that could teach drawing to their pupils, uh, it was considered so important by the uh, minister of education and culture that he decided to establish two uh, professorships, one for painting, one for sculpture, in the classical figurative technique. Mm. Yeah. Uh, and it was uh, a kind of, and this was by some, by one part of, of the art field considered uh, a kind of aggressive impulse against the independence of artists uh, and the independence of the academy. 
but uh, the minister said that I have the right to establish any uh, educational line, uh, educational program uh, I want that is within my uh, competence. Well, he established all the other classes. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and then, but but there's much more behind that, and it it's it's the function of art history. Right. In in art history, one of the central dogmas is that the art is always developing toward an uncertain goal, yeah. and uh, the 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 heroes in this history is are uh, the avant-garde, those who are leading the troops, you know, and the uh, the losers in this uh, logic are those who come behind the retrograde. Mm -hmm. And the most retrograde artists are those who take up again older techniques, older uh, mod models of painting or sculpture or what, whatever. And, and this is what in the 1970s and, uh, and 1960s they developed a group of artists that wanted to go back to traditions and paint or sculpt in a way that no longer was modern and, and that was not accepted by representatives of the avant-garde. Mm. Yeah. So it, it, it became a large conflict between uh, the uh, within uh, within the field of art, where the dominant section of the field of art, uh, they uh, did not accept these classical figurative painters and sculptures because it was not art. Hmm. It should not be possible to make art in that way now in our time, it, right. it was said. But this 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 uh, artist proved very uh, uh, talented, and they worked hard, and they were welcomed by the market. Right. Yeah. So they so, didn't get the symbolic yeah. power, but yeah, yeah. So, so and 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 to and to rely on the market, uh, if you see it from the point of view of the avant-garde, to rely on the on the market is bad. Right. It's evil, no? Because it, then, then because you can say that you only make art to make money, that there are no uh, uh, innocent or no uh, uh, valuable impulse mm. behind that art, that production of art. Mm. Yeah. So it, it it became a moral. It is a moral question. Yeah. It's it's like. It's like uh, uh, kitsch was said to be uh, the 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 evil within the field of art. Right. Uh, you know, Hermann Brock, the, the evil. It's evil, which means when you say that that there's something evil in the field of art, 
then you, you point to, to a system of values. Right. Uh, on that, that, and these values are moral. Right. Yeah. So you mentioned already the idea of progress and making paintings for money as being bad. Now, <clears throat> as I said in the beginning, we'll, we'll talk about, we've been talking about the, the, the establishment of the institutions and how state cultural politics then all thereby helped establish these art rules. So maybe we at this point should <clears throat> be quite clear. What are the basic principles of the fine art term? And of course, um, I'd like to say, uh, if anyone wants to go into how different paintings, sculpture, and these things were categorized and all the development happened, especially in the 18th century, the Invention of Art by Larry Shiner is a very good book, so we don't need to go into all the details in the, in the, of the cultural history of it. But in terms of aesthetics, aesthetic philosophy, what are the values of art, the principles of art? Hmm. That is a very heavy qu question. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it, it, the three most important, well, you yeah, mentioned two. Yeah, okay, yeah. three more. Yeah. Uh, uh, since you presented this book, hmm? uh, I will take the opportunity to see, to tell how I look differently hmm? on art. Uh, and, and here, in this book, uh, I agree with very much what is written within, because art is an in, invention, yeah. in, in my opinion. Historically, it is an invention. But here, this is told by showing uh, a work of art. But what I am doing, I'm not, in this book, I'm not looking at the work of art. I'm looking at how works of art are used. Right. Yeah. And especially... You're talking about pointing. Yeah. How they are used in exhibitions. Right. And if I, if I ask, uh, not what is exhibited, but I ask, uh, uh, what is exhibiting? What is it in an, ex an exhibition hall that is uh, ex exhibiting, that is pointing out something as art? Right. And you, then, you, then I, I find that, that the, this kind of pointing that is lightning, labels, signature, uh, uh, what year it is produced, catalogs, and so on and so on. They're, they're all pointing two ways. They're pointing at something that they call art, a work of art, but they're also uh, pointing at the context, hmm. that the, the frame of understanding. Yeah. And, and and this book is not about the frame of understanding. Right. Uh, and it is not about uh, this pointing. It's not about the, the use of art. Right, right. It's, it's completely yeah. cultural historical. Yeah. I mean, and I think that should be said. I mean, what he talks about, to make a long story very short, yeah. is that in the 18th century, you get the consolidation of the modern concept of art, fine art where you have paintings, sculpture, music, architecture, no. and poetry, no. and that they are seen as related. And uh, what I'm thinking about 
um, are there are certain core principles of how an artist should uh, produce things. You mentioned going forward, which is uh, attached to the idea of originality, right? Um, not making money, not make, making art for the sake of money. Then you have, of course, Kant who says that handcraft is something you just do for the sake of money. It's something mechanical. And of course, you get the opposition between art and craft as two opposites, yes, yes. which is an absurd thing to no. say in, in Rembrandt's time, right? Oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, I think one of the most um, fundamental things, perhaps, is uh, when Kant talks about, how does he phrase it, you're only making art when you don't know what you're doing. And again, this is the, the opposition between art and craft, right? I think so. That's one specific thing, and there's, there's also the other thing of. Um, I talked to Sebastian Salvo about that, the Chilean painter, on the last show. show. Um, how, if you, for example, read read uh, Vasari, all the things that he praises. Raphael is an excellent imitator. It's so living. Look at the expressions. All of these things are not the values of art. So. Would you agree, I mean, this is my, my take on it, that basically the whole well, you could say Greek way of thinking, and I, I'm, I'm including the Renaissance, the Baroque in that, the Greek culture then, uh, that is what is shoved out or, or, or repressed with the concept of fine art and then later becomes labeled kitsch. Do you think that's a fair description? Yeah, uh, I think so. Uh, we must take care in not using anachronistic concepts. Right, right. Yeah. So, so the concept of fine art uh, was, is also I mean, uh, a rather recent in invention. Hmm. And the, the fine art was uh, the um, arts that produced beautiful objects. Right. And uh, it was beautiful objects where uh, the production uh, involved not only technique but uh, knowledge and inspiration. That is, uh, uh, yeah, inspiration, Geist in German. And uh, uh, one talked about works of art. You know the work, the, the concept of, of the work art of painting. Of art, uh, yeah, the work of, of painting, the work of sculpture. Uh, yeah. yeah. So, so we, you know, you know, uh, this this use uh, of uh, the work. One cannot point, one could not point at something and call it art until the second half of the nineteenth century. Right. Yeah. And, and and therefore, when. When uh, art, fine art, was something with a highly developed skill to be to produce something that was beautiful and spiritual, and could give you moral and spiritual uh, 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 motives, yeah. and uh, but gradually. Uh, the word the word art 
uh, was used about the result right. of art. And, and this opened, in my opinion, for something like, like this. Yeah, this is Man Ray, I think. This yeah. is Man Ray and his uh, uh, iron with with uh, uh, with this. Uh, uh, yeah, it, it's, the nail it, it is yeah. made unusable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, uh, this could this this is not a production of a highly developed skill. No, it is it it is it is dependent on the pointing. Right. It is dependent on putting this into uh, a conceptual frame, uh, a, a frame of understanding, where uh, what that says, now we shall look at this as we look at something beautiful, as we look at art. Now, and this, this opened this uh, uh, new a modern concept of art, it opened the way for uh, uh, conceptual art. Right. It opened the way for my being able, if I was an artist, to present this uh, as, as, as a work of art. Right. Yeah. So the transition... And, and this is totally dependent on the pointing. Yeah. So there is a really fundamental trans transition that we need to be really aware of yeah. in the when it comes to the content of these three letters a r t yeah. with a small a it means the yeah. skill the yeah. discipline yeah. the skill of making a house or yeah. whatever but what you're talking about is and this is larry shiny mentions it in the book when you get art with a capital a yeah. it becomes a imbued with the with religious connotation and I think it, it's not a polemical thing to say that art has nothing to do with craft knowledge right? that is a completely separate thing mm -hmm. so what then do you say I mean then the natural conclusion would be that for example Rembrandt is not an artist in the modern uh, understanding of the concept of art because he based himself fully on craft oh. make sensual images and of course being sentimental oh. as um, that, that's that's a funny point in I don't know if you know that book um, as, far, as far as I know Rembrandt did not work for an anonymous mar market no just in terms of, I, yeah. of what he created yeah. um, there's um, there's a very interesting book called Kant Art and Art History yeah. by Mark Cheatham yeah. and he basically says that that um, you know Kant talks about how you should not judge something based on being being taken away carried away way by the drama of it basically and it says if you do that that's barbaric so what Cheatham is writing about is how Kant's idea of a barbaric becomes the concept of kitsch. That's Greenberg's kitsch, he says. And you know, Greenberg writes about this in, um, in this uh, famous essay of his Avant Garden Kitsch, that he ridicules this Russian painter who uses a lot of effects, you know, exploding grenades, so falling men, and all this to create intense drama. Oh. So uh, th that's what I'm saying, that you know, given the 
basic uh, rules or principles of fine art that you should not try to be sentimental or sensual, you could say, and not try to be sentim yeah, sentimental, as you mentioned. Rembrandt cannot possibly fit into that concept. Now, uh, let's take another example. Let, let's, let's take a crucifix from the medieval age. Mm. We take it from a church and put it in an art museum. Right. In the church, um, it was an object of religious devotion. You used it for, as an, as an, uh, uh, in front of it, you prayed, you knelt down, you paid respect. Mm. When you bring it to an art museum, you will never kneel before it. You will say, this is Gothic. Yeah, right, right. No. So uh, this is a part of uh, uh, the pre-reformation. Right. This is a Catholic uh, veneration object, but it, it, it has a style. But you go into a church you, uh, and you are a religious person, you, you never talk about style. No. So, so uh, in, in principle, bringing an iron uh, into or whatever into an, uh, an, an art ga gallery is the same as bringing an, uh, 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 a crucifix into an art museum. Mm. It, it's the same logic behind it. It's the same. This is the pointing you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah you're yeah. baptizing yeah, it. Yeah, because, because, because you, you, you put the crucifix into art history. And, and you because know, art doesn't have to uh, have to do with how it is made or no. the quality of today, it, it it isn't it, it isn't. And, uh, yeah. But just to make sure that I understand mm. you correctly, yeah. then what you're saying then is, or as far as I understand, is that is an anachronism to take this object and make it into art. No. It, it, it is an acronym to call it art, forgetting that it was a crucifix. Oh. And, and, and it, you know, at that time, when, the, when, let's, say, when let's say, when the Louvre was uh, established, uh, some will say that bringing uh, religious artifacts into the, the Louvre Museum that was established at the time of the French Revolution, saved these works from being destroyed from, from the, by the revolutionaries right. that were uh, anti-religious, were anti-Catholics. Right. You know? and, and, and it was when brought into this newly established museum, it was considered a part of the patrimony, the cultural heritage. And so what, what happened was the change in uh, the frame of understanding. It was understood not as a religious object, religious object, but as a work of art. So they were quite conscious about that. This, so what year was Louvre established or opened as a museum, just to be clear about yeah, that? Yeah, about 1790s. And they were very conscious and very clear that, that these 
paintings were art. No. In the modern way. No, no, no. no. But no. the... No, no, they, 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 they were considered a part of... Uh, the heritage. Yeah. Part of building up a cultural heritage for the French people. It was a kind of revolutionary uh, na nationalism. Uh, that it was secular, that, that it was non-religious. Right. So it, it, but it, it, uh, it happened along with all the developments right. uh, uh, on the way towards creating an, uh, an independent field of, of art. Yeah. Because later I... It, because earlier, moving, uh, um, moving a, a crucifix to a secular place would be called blasphemy. Right. But but this uh, this uh, but it couldn't be called blasphemy now because it's part of another policy and it was a state policy. Right. It it was not private or uh, artist run. It was the state, uh, the secular state, that uh, introduced this new frame of understanding for works of art from earlier times. Right, right, right. Mm. And I know um, a friend of mine, uh, Shane Young, was uh, investigating a bit to wh how, what happened in the early years of, of the Louvre. And uh, I would have to confer with him again, but as far as I understood, at a certain point, uh, and this is with the consciousness of fine art, in the modern concept of fine art, then they start to uh, install this museum after what I think you call the master story, yeah. with a clear develop, so-called development. Yeah. And that's when they, if these paintings were moved into Louvre first as sort of cultural objects, yeah. then they are turned into art mm. <laughs> by, by that politics then. Yeah. But you know, that art history is also a, a rather new in, invention. Right. The, and, and, uh, uh, and the, uh, archetypical art museum uh, was built after uh, uh, an art history was created. That is uh, the history of styles through the ages. And uh, uh, our own National Gallery in, in Oslo is built uh, to um, to tell this master story, this art history. You place work from the same time in the same room and in the next time in the next room and so on and so on and so on. And by going from room to room, and they were interconnected by doors, open doors, you go through his history. Mm. And, and it, it's, it's a fantastic pedagogic instrument these old art museums, hmm. because by moving, you move through art history and you learn uh, what kind of expressions are typical for each period. Right. Yeah. And, and now this art history is um, challenged because uh, one tries to, in the art museum, one tries to bring together works of art from different times. And I think, uh, I think it can be a, a, an interesting meeting between works of art uh, from uh, before one had the concept of art uh, and, uh, and t 
till now. For, for instance, uh, I, will, I would like to point out two extremes uh, or, uh, from the contemporary works of art that will uh, demonstrate the development. And, and one, I, ha I have presented one uh, both in, in this book. And the, uh, the one is uh, this, this barn. Mm -hmm. it's, it's a 400 years old uh, barn or, uh, or a shed for sheep uh, uh, built or uh, placed high up in the mountains in Norway. Uh, uh, and is built by timber logs, so it was uh, it was uh, built so it could be taken down and moved to an another place and set up again several times. And Marianne Heske she took down one of these uh, barns and brought it to uh, uh, to a famous art exhibition in Paris. And everybody could see that this was a work of art. And then it was brought to an art exhibition in Norway. And we were used, because all of we walk in the mountains and we had seen these barns and we saw it as a barn. So in Norway, it was not accepted as a work of art. It was only a barn. But you see, in the new frame understanding, this conceptual work could be uh, considered as a work of art and put into art, his, art history. And the, the, the opposite uh, within uh, of, of the conceptual work is, is a work of art by Odd Nydrum, the, 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 the killing of uh, Andreas Bader, the murder of Andreas Bader. Everybody can see that this is a work of art, uh, irrespective of where it is placed. If you see in a book or in, in an art gallery or in an atelier or whatever, everybody can see that this is a work of art. But you cannot see the conceptual works of art. They only can be seen as art when put into a certain frame of understanding that is uh, in an art museum or in an art ga gallery where everything is pointing to it as a work of art. The, these are, in my opinion, the two extremes of, of, uh, of uh, uh, works of art. Right, and then we, then we get back yeah. to sort of, um, okay, so why then does the curatoriate not see it as art? If everybody knows it's art. That, that is... <laughs> and then we get into the kids' yeah. term, and I'd like to hear your, yeah. your position as an yeah, art sociologist yeah, yeah. on that. Yeah. But, His declaration but, as kids. Let's try to, to discuss. Why is uh, the murder of Andreas Bader by Olnerim by some not considered at us? First, we have to, uh, we have to think, we have to see... Uh, uh, this art society as a place of conflicts and conflicting in interests. Uh, 
and uh, the dominating interests within the, the, the field of art uh, will not accept something that is considered a repetition, repetition of earlier styles. Right. Uh, the, the, uh, and the art museums, they only show what is new at any time. They, they, will, they will not accept into their uh, collections works of art uh, of a kind or that seem to be a repetition of something that is two or three hundred years old. Right. Yeah. So uh, that is one of the uh, one of the reasons behind the non-accept of almost everything that Old Nidrum uh, does. So that spot is taken in history. Yeah, it should not be possible. It, it should not be allowed <laughs> to make work like Old Nidrum uh, did. And, 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 and that, and and something, some call. They said this is kitsch. He said about his his works, his paintings. This is kitsch, uh, and they said the same about his colleagues that painted or sculpted in the same tradition or more or less the same tradition. So, and the kitsch, as we said, the kitsch is the evil, the bad in the value system of, of art. Hmm. And what Old Nydrum uh, did uh, at the point, at the opening of an, his largest exhibition uh, up to that time, was to say, this is not art. What I show here is not art. It's kitsch. You know? <laughs> and around him stood all those who had collected his works as if they were works of art. <laughs> no. Completely fool. Yeah. So, so he, he made a fool of, of them. He, he made a fool of them in the way that the avant-garde always had tried to, few, to, to, to uh, uh, make a laugh, laughing stock of the audience. They should always try to transcend the, the traditional or the established right. taste. Mm. No. So it, it is, it is uh, that is one of my private explanation uh, of the, uh, the established on, of, of the, this new, uh, this new concept of kitsch, because it is a new concept of, of, of kitsch. That is one another expression and uh, uh, that is and and uh, old Nidrim and his traditional uh, painting or sculpturing colleagues were very popular among the audience they could sell at large at good prices uh, and that is not well accepted uh, what it was they were said that that you are you are you are prostitutes Right. Because you are selling, you are you are producing something only for to satisfy the art market, and the art market is said it it, it is equal bad taste. Yeah. So so there are something values some values that are uh, being uh, that are that are that are brought upon uh, Old Nadrim and his 
colleagues. Uh, but only Nadrim choose to say, I'm not an artist. I'm a kid artist. My, my paintings are not art. Right. My paintings are kitsch. And, and after, after a while, he, he developed this concept of kitsch. I, I, I consider this concept of kitsch, his concept of kitsch, as a contribution to art theory. I, I, I cannot I cannot say that this it, it has nothing to do with art. It 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 is it is a contribution, the only Norwegian contribution to international art theory. <laughs> okay, uh, is <clears throat> okay. I want to check if I'm quoting you correctly. Yeah. Um, as far as I understand, you said once that Duchamp's urinal was a grenade, but Odnerden's kitsch term is an atom bomb. Ah, uh, I, I wish I had said that, but uh, <laughs> I, I did not. I, I must be modest there, and, and uh, 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 you, you are putting words into my mouth that I have not uttered. Well, you can correct it, yeah. yeah uh, okay, but, yeah. but what, is the, what is the potency, what do you see as the benefit or the, the quality of, of the you know, new understanding of kitsch? Uh, there, there, there is one thing that I think is uh, young artists that want that will that will uh, work in in uh, inspired by Nadia. Uh, they take a great risk hmm. because, as Odd has said himself, uh, everything that is made within the umbrella of kitsch. Uh, is exposed to comparison with the best works in art his history. You can take a work, a kitsch work, and you can bring it uh, to an art museum with works from a certain time, and you can put, you can compare it. Is this as good? as uh, they did 200 years ago or 300 years ago. Yeah. And, and, and this is very much, art critics make such com comparisons. Yeah. 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 I, I, don't, I, I, uh, I have no example of uh, no, uh, concerning Odd Nydrim's works, but, but uh, uh, a colleague uh, of him, uh, Karl-Erik Heide, he also was very inspired by, by uh, uh, traditional painting uh, later than uh, Norway, uh, Nydrums, um, uh, let's say middle of 19th century. Yeah. Uh, and um, he, it, he is, he is uh, called uh, a Protestant. Prostitute. Yeah, he he he's whoring with his uh, with his works, right? Because people like like them, yeah, and they buy them, and because he's not an avant-garde, right? No. Uh, what I found 
was a really interesting, uh, again, a case study of what the kitsch term can, uh, can create. There was a um, figurative sculptor, Perun, whom you know or knew, um, and he had an exhibit exhibition, sort of a retrospective exhibition, and an art historian wrote a review, and that was extremely interesting, because he said, um, "Mr. Ong is not very original; he's really quite sentimental, but that's okay in kitsch." And I will judge it accordingly. And this was after we had uh, published on Kitsch. I have an article in that. Uh, in that, in which that is book. a very good yeah. article. Yeah, we <laughs> we can talk about that. Thank but, you. But mm-hmm. that that example to take that first. Mm. That was a really. I mean, for the. As far as I know, for the first time or not, I don't think he have, has gotten a fair review very often. But that was more or less the first time he has gotten a fair review where this art historian, when I say art historian, could sort of put on some kitsch gloves so that he didn't get his hands dirty, so to speak. Oh, yeah. And then he, no. he was allowed to, to see it not through that, no, this shall not have no room in art. I reject it because it doesn't satisfy the, oh. the rules of art. Uh, but he could put on some, some other type of glasses and he could be sort of lower his shoulder and not lose... Uh, social standing or whatever and just look at the work. I mean, basically the same as you were saying, you could bring mm-hmm. a kitsch work into a museum mm-hmm. compared mm-hmm. to Rembrandt to say, oh my God, mm-hmm. oh God, I have to work more on this mm-hmm. <laughs> or whatever, yeah. or maybe it's better, yeah. who knows. Yeah. But but then you're, I, I think that's, um, uh, I th- that, that's perhaps the main difference then between the fine art concept, the modern fine art concept, and, and uh, the way one would think in Raphael's time or Leonardo's time, that in the old master way of thinking, you had concrete criteria, proportion, oh. uh, composition, color, all these things. Whereas in the modern uh, the, the concept of fine art, you have progress, you have originality, you have being true and all quite abstract terms, right? You think that's a correct uh, description? It, I think uh, you describe it. Uh, you describe two different approaches to uh, judging quality, right? Uh, but then, you know, I am an art sociologist, and uh, I cannot bring my personal taste right. into my research. Uh, I cannot, as an art sociologist, I cannot uh, judge art. I cannot say which art is better and which art is worse. I cannot um, uh, rank artists according to the artistic recognition. Mm. I must understand how are such judgments made. Uh, I must understand how how uh, these rankings are made mm. because the, the the art world is full of rankings and of course within within the the, the kids group there will also be a ranking well, you, you have you have yeah and so um, uh, I must uh, I have my personal taste 
but I will not. I, will, I, will, I, will, I must not bring this into uh, my uh, work as an art sociologist. Right, how it yeah. should be. And and therefore, I sit here as an art sociologist. Yeah. And I must say that that there there are conceptual works like this barn by Marianne Heske that I I highly appraise as a work of art. With in 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 the understanding of of art uh, that is uh, uh, acceptable or that is uh, the common yeah yeah common yeah uh, and uh, uh, <clears throat> and therefore I try to understand as an art sociologist what the concept of Kish has brought into right. the field of art and what kind of conflicts it raises. And I can say that uh, I can see that uh, uh, another um, uh, daring aspect of the young kitsch artist is that uh, you are judged according to, as you said, you, to the craft, right. the quality of your craft. Right. That is, uh, and and are such judgments objective? There are more objectivity than such judgment than to judgment of, of this. Yeah. How do you judge the quality of, of this? Yeah. So you, you, have, you, you must judge the quality of this ironing. Yeah. Uh, but then you're not judging it as art. You, 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 uh, yes, I will, I, I will say that the, 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 uh, this is just according to who owns it, who has right. criticized it, right, who has right. bought it, how it is written in art history, it's right. Right. Uh, right. who are the curators uh, running exhibition it is put into. You're, you're again, you're talking about the pointing. Yeah, 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 yeah. I can use the power system uh, that I have described uh, within the field of art, and, and say, this kind of art is lowly uh, 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 judged, and this kind of art and these artists are highly judged. Right. Uh, I, can, I can say that, but I must, I, must, I must not bring my own views. Right, right, right. And I'm not asking it. you, you yeah. to do it but, either. But, but I yeah. do it sometimes. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I do okay. it sometimes. I, and I must I like this barn. Very much, Tilmarian is a mm. conceptual work of art, a very rich conceptual work of art, and I like uh, the, the, the murder of uh, Andreas Bader by Nairim as, so how, how as much. <laughs> how would you praise uh, the murder of Andreas Bader as kitsch then? Uh, if you can praise something as art, yeah, praise something as kitsch. It, 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 it is. Yeah. yeah. If you want it, yes, I want that. I, I want because, because uh, also Odnerim has been through a development. Uh, he he started uh, as a very talented draftsman, uh, and he was very early uh, uh, accepted as um, as a as a talented and promising painter. But he was also uh, scorned for his uh, essays 
that is trying to paint uh, old-fashioned. And then came a period where he painted, uh, let's say, social critical paintings. Right. Oh. And uh, I have difficulties in calling them kitsch because the, the aim was uh, the aim was uh, uh, making a statement right. on on uh, on contemporary political problems. Right. Uh, that, that reminds and, me and, 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 and I, 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 I'm surprised that his fabulous painting of the uh, Vietnamese in the in the sea, the refugees at sea. Yeah. Refugees at sea. Why it is not drawn into today's problems with all drowning people that are fleeing from right. North Africa right. to U Europe? Uh, it, it, it is so. So he was a, a politically commenting artist. I, I can understand a, that and, point. And, he, the, and his new, his view on kitsch, his withdrawing from the arena of political debate. Yeah. Right, yeah. And, and what I see around now uh, among his pupils, they are, they are, they are not think, taking up his political uh, period. Oh. They are taking up a bit more uh, 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 symbolic uh, kind of painting. Or, yeah, I have difficulties in describing Oh, yeah. Putting words yeah. on it. Yeah. It reminds me of yeah. you know in, when I started as a student, uh, it was very, very in, the, in the beginning of the idea of of, of kitsch, and I was all all the time ask, trying to ask him questions to sort of find out if he was contradicting himself. So at some point, at one point he he compared me to his then oldest son who was five years old, five years old. <laughs> <laughs> but but I asked him that okay, well how about the murder Andreas Bader, how can that survive as Kitchen? Yeah. Uh, he said something to the effect that, well, if it survives, it is despite of the political content and because of the, the drama in it, you know, yeah. not yeah. knowing if it's Bader or yeah. not. Yeah. You know. yeah. 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 Um, I, I also think so. Yeah. But there are other paintings uh, by him uh, that are more concrete, politically or oriented. Right, right. Where, where the context is uh, rather yes. narrower politically. Yeah. I think that's but also uh, why... Yes, Bader has, has a more universal me meaning. Uh, yeah, it, 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 I, I would uh, agree. Uh, yeah. Uh, but that's also why Dastor Firm Museum and also that, we, that owns the painting uh, normally just has the Bader Builder hanging... <laughs> Bader Builder... <laughs> Bader picture <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> hanging up and not the ones that they own from the 90s uh, that he's made. Mm. Um, Okay, I, I wanted now to go into a, a, a little section where we, where I could ask you some questions about potential problems with cultural politics, and then with the, keeping in mind the, the values of art. Uh, but before we get to that, we have uh, some questions from the audience. So uh, remember, you can support our. Uh, show at patreon.com slash and you can get uh, depending on which tire you choose you can get um, uh, previews you can get extra material and of course you can you get a guarantee to have your questions answered 
and your name mentioned and other benefits. So <clears throat> we have one from um, our Patreon account uh, from a person who wants to remain anonymous. Uh, regarding the recent political interference with art, why is it that painting was attacked first? Why didn't the art police focus as much on interfering with other crafts such as movies, theater, opera, and ballet? Yeah. Um, political interference with art. Um, there are very few direct instances of that in Norway, except for the period 1940 to 1945. The German occupation. Yeah. The German occupation during the Second World, World War. Uh, it, uh, uh, it is a stated policy in Norway that there should be an arm's length distance between the state and the field of art. That is, there shall be no political uh, judgment of works of art, there shall be no political conditions um, set up for support for artists or art galleries or art museums. And I, I think that holds uh, right. It, 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 there are very few instances uh, of uh, even indirect state mm. interference. But in the 1970s, uh, Norway adopted a much more active state policy. Uh, much more money, state money, was uh, put into the field of art, all fields of, of art. And uh, uh, there was one major statement behind this uh, uh, growth in, 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 in cultural budgets. That was, everybody has a right to art. It was a kind of democratization mm -hmm. of, of art. And uh, there were support schemes, support programs that clearly was politically uh, founded. Uh, for instance, you shall once should support art into the remote regions of Norway, uh, to the suburbs, uh, to the elderly people, uh, to people uh, in prisons, etc. etc. There were there were groups that were uh, Given priority mm. in the in the in the in the art policy or the cultural policy, and then parts of the art field uh, saw this as an opportunity to get more public support by uh, serving these political pro programs. So uh, it it was it in my in my opinion 
uh, Norway got a kind of indirect political influence on part of the art, art world, but only, only, and this was something new, and and this this uh, part of the art world that uh, that uh, competed for um, for um, these programs, having money from these programs, uh, they they adopted an elitarian. Uh, an elitarian, uh, an egalitarian uh, view on, on art. Everybody had the right to art, and everybody's taste was as good as any other taste. It, it was said. Uh, so we, uh, before that, the, the, the Norwegian, the structure of the Norwegian art field was, you had the commercial field, uh, where artists made uh, art, because they wanted to earn money, and the other field uh, made art because they uh, they wanted artistic recognition, uh, artistic recognition first and foremost. So uh, the, the the art policy, let's call it the state, had a structuring influence on the right. field of art. We got right. three subfields of art. Uh, the elitarian competing for artistic recognition, the commercial competing for sales, for market uh, shares, and this uh, egalitarian uh, or political uh, subfield that were competing for public support uh, within the programs defined by the state. Right. Yeah. And so, so. Uh, 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 the state influence in the Norwegian uh, case is not direct. It is indirect, and this uh, influence is only felt in part of the field of art. And then one can st I study this historically. That is, uh, when when you judge art according to its political usefulness, you lose the power to give artistic recognition, you lose symbolic capital, mm. you lose, so when, uh, when you lose symbolic capital, many artists will withdraw, because most artists work for artistic recognition, especially by their colleagues. Yeah. So, and and where are the kids artists in this? Yeah, that's an interesting point yeah. too. Yeah. I mean, you've, you've been describing you describe in your book that uh, you say specifically Nordum students have experienced quite clearly what it means to not be within what is accepted in in the cultural politics, yeah. and I think that is. Uh, before we get to the next question, um, we can we can we can use I must continue a little. Okay. Because I asked, where are the kitsch artists in this uh, structure with three subfields? Um, the the kitsch artists they have a connection to the commercial art art field. 
because uh, the market likes them to some extent. Uh, but they are not within the political field. They are not between the, 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 those in the art field that commands artistic recognition will not cooperate with the uh, with the Kish artists. Right, right. So they are also in a kind they are outside. And we, if I shall criticize, make a critical comment on the group of artists recognizing themselves as Kitsch artists, uh, they have failed to establish a, a visible uh, and recognized group of artists running their own business. Uh, a group of artists that, uh, that uh, apply critical standards towards each other. Uh, you have no annual ex exhibition. You have no, uh, there's no kitsch art museum. Uh, there are no kitsch art cri critics. You have a kitsch art ex uh, education here. No? So, uh, in, in, the, in our society, uh, uh, every interest uh, has to organize itself uh, and, and to be identified by outsiders. Mm. as an entity, as a group that you have to reckon with, uh, uh, that can make its influence uh, felt. But, but f first of all, uh, you have to uh, have an internal kind of uh, organization. Yeah. I guess that's what we're trying to do with the Cave of Pillars and Worldwide Kitsch. Yeah. Dot com. So, so yeah, check is, it out. This is uh, so I, I'm I now I'm now uh, applauding uh, right. this this kind of pro program. So, right, right, so right. if if I look at the int if I take the point of view of the interest of the kitsch kitsch artist, yeah. but you can do much more. You can start working for us. We'll pay you a lot. So <clears throat> here's another question uh, from Facebook. Many conservative people are complaining about how everything was better before and how everything is horrible today. Music, painting, architecture and so on. But none of them seem to have a solution to this problem. What exactly do you think can be done to change today's situation? And I, I presume this is, we're talking about situation for classical figurative painting and oh. you know, classical culture. Yeah. Uh, uh, I, I think it's this problem has no solution. It has no answer. Uh, I am myself an, an old man. I'm 78 years old. Uh, I have all my time as an art interested person tried to keep up with everything that is new. And that, that uh, uh, includes the kitsch. Uh, development, yeah. Uh, uh, 
and I think I understand the kitsch painters be, uh, uh, better than uh, than uh, some of the new developments in in art, uh, and I I like. And now I'm talking about my personal taste. Uh, art that is uh, direct in its message, uh, that is uh, visually easy to uh, to see, to 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 understand. Uh, Art that is uh, appealing, at least to some of my feelings. Um, uh, art that is impressive in its approach, uh, in its um, uh, in its uh, uh, quality. That is uh, technical qu quality, <coughs> and uh, also art that is struggling uh, against uh, the, the ruling power structure. So, so I've always felt an interest in, in outsider art, in, in, that is, uh, the art that is excluded from, uh, from especially from the elitarian hmm. field, sub-field. Sub hmm. uh, so I feel a sympathy for artists that uh, that uh, 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 work against odds, Rather than but that. not against odd, <laughs> but against odds. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, there are, as I see, see it, some problems with the state intervening in culture. I, I, I wanted to throw some, some examples at you. Uh, there are... Um, I mean, I, I know some figurative, that actually they're illustrators, like in this little valley, and they applied to have their works uh, decorating this new home for elderly people. Now, what happens is that, of course, in, the, in Norway, if you use a, a, an improved consultant for what is bought, you know, because you have to, you have to spend, what, 1% of the building costs for, for decorations, and if you use an approved consultant, then I think they got like 20 or 30 million more crowns for building this. And of course, what they end up with is what I call conventional contemporary art and not this classical figurative painters yeah. up there. Yeah. And I think that plays into, not that they had the right to be represented, that's not the point, but, but it shows an ideological um, direction on what is chosen. Because as far as I see it, the major problem is, I mean, you talk about arm length, length uh, distance, but to me that is quite short when, <laughs> when the experts that are given the, the authority by the state have a certain set of rules, certain art rules that they apply in every case. Yeah, yeah. So you do, don't, you do not get the sort of democratic yeah. um, the cultural life where yeah. all kinds of expressions are allowed. Yeah. Do you see that as a problem? Yeah, yes, yes. Uh, I see. We have to. Uh, if you see, this is the state, mm -hmm. and this is the art field. Yeah. And we talk about arm length distance. Uh, 
So the arm length is, an, is not a void. It's not an empty room. Uh, it is filled by someone. It is filled by someone. And this someone, uh, who are they keeping up this arm's length distance? They are elected by the state mm -hmm. from among representatives of the field of art. Right. And, and, it, and this should, um, in a way, prohibit uh, f uh, favoring right. so nepotism. The idea is to secure objectivity or, yeah, or neutrality. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or Not objectivity, but neutrality it, it, or more a change in subjectivity. Okay, okay, okay. okay. Yeah. <laughs> That's honest at least. Yeah. 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 So, uh, what is happening uh, now is that this intermediating body is being uh, changed. Uh, in the art museums, the, uh, since 10 years ago, artists have no say. The curators yeah. are, are here. And th these curators, uh, that is non-artists, uh, have been uh, taking the place of artists in the intermediating body. And I think, personally, I think that uh, curators are less um, trustable. Right. Because uh, uh, curators could be more um, uh, more having more a tendency to listen to the state than to listen right. to the field of, field of art. Okay. So, so th therefore, when when you can say that the the in this way the arm's length distance is lesser now than it was twenty years ago. Yeah. Right. Okay. So that there's another uh, thing then. Um, I mean. My uh, problem with this is that even though there is this separation, as I say, the the values that are being uh, put forward by those who are at the arm length distance yeah. are values that that uh, well, to be diplomatic, doesn't exactly favor classical culture that no, which no. is what I represent. No, that's, uh, that's right. To, yeah. to, to illustrate it. This intermediate-ending body, be they um, curators or artists, they will never favor kitsch or, or right. artists. Right, right, right. There's, an, there's another aspect uh, that I wanted to, to hear your opinion on. I've seen in two different countries the same phenomenon appearing within theater plays, or stagings, rather. And this has this with Per Gint by Henrik Ibsen, where in Norway they used the party leader of the, well, what I call the least socialist party in Norway, the, which is ironically called the Progress Party. They used his, the leader and his wife as the, the troll and his wife in, in, the, in the hall of, of uh, the trolls, you know, where they're sitting there and they're being egoistic and mean and, you know, evil. And in Austria, they used the uh, the troll kids there were the members of Jörg Haider's party, the, the, the Freiheitlichen. And the question is not to be for or against these parties, but the fact that they take culture, you know, 
theater as an example of oh. culture. Mm. And they say, well, I don't know, know the Austrian connection, but I wouldn't be surprised if they too mention, talk about some kind of arm length distance. So they just give, the, the state just gives money to art. And then the cultural life understands where, what, where the main values are, where consensus is. And then they use this culture money to make propaganda against certain political parties or whatever else mm. it may be. Mm. Um, and, but, but there's also a, a darker side to it. I mean, that's, this is also an example from Austria where one um, author wrote about, this is again the, the famous Jörg Haider who, who was killed in a car accident leading that party. Um, and this novel is about a young radical who gets scared because there's a, there's a populist politician who gets popular by, among people. So he decides that he has to do something and he kills him. And you would be quite stupid not to understand that that was Jörg Haider. And for that book, this author gets a prize, culture prize from the state. Uh, am I making these examples too big or do you recognize that kind of uh, problematic no. <laughs> propaganda? No. This, uh, this problem is present everywhere right. and always and you cannot do anything with it without interfering with the independence of cultural institutions so uh, we have to live with such uh, uh, such tendencies and these tendencies they go many ways so you you, you have you have uh, example one way but there are also exam examples other ways. So, yeah. so uh, we we have to uh, we have to live with these uh, uh, developments. It is not new, uh, but we have to criticize it. Right. Uh, well, I'll grant you that point. Yeah. Um, I had uh, Cheng yeah. Wu on the show from China, yeah. Yeah. and in China. The state is supporting classical figurative painters like you would not believe. Yeah, yeah. It's an amazing. <laughs> it's like mm. you think it's like well, it's on the other side of the world. Maybe that's why yeah. everything is upside down. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. uh, but there's the, okay. So last point then, I'll I'll describe to you my ideal cultural life, mm. and I it might not be to your liking, oh, but we'll mm. see how it goes. Mm. <laughs> mm. Uh, so what, what uh, I envision, because I see the problem in the, the, the fact that, as I see it, cultural politics uh, furthers the values of fine art, which is not actually exactly helping what I'm standing for. I would see a situation where the state, you take the cultural ministry, you take museums, libraries, these sort of more, what should I say, more neutral institutions no. and you put them in other ministries and then you cut all support for things that are made new made art oh. uh, and you give I think that's an example I heard from from Ireland that if you are somehow uh, within the field of art or culture you get a 50,000 euros um, uh, you have to earn 50,000 euros before you start taxing and I think that could be a solution I could accept because 
the, the, what the state does is not to do anything, right? Because you know that's a question also: how much money does it cost to give a person fifty thousand crowns or whatever, right? So that that's an economic question too. But to avoid what I see as political propaganda, favoring and also furthering of of values that that I uh, disagree with, all, but also values that I agree with. I, don't, I think the state shouldn't be involved in that at all. What do you think about that solution? I think uh, that any state need artists that are widely accepted, that is internationally accepted as great artists. And, and uh, uh, because uh, for a state, uh, for uh, having artists that are greatly acclaimed all over the world, give them prestige, give them uh, national honor, is building up their uh, the the um, the, pop the population's uh, eagerness to support uh, that its government. Uh, so the the. There's all there's always uh, an aspect of inter international policy behind cultural policy, right. and and your system with with the state withdrawing from any uh, support, any programs, any interest for uh, it it is not viable. It because because. As long as the art, as long as the artists and their works of art do not support uh, political interests, it is considered pure. It is considered something uh, above uh, political and commercial in interest, and a state. Uh, needs an aura of, uh, on, on being pure, on being honest, right. and supporting something that could not be reduced to political uh, propaganda or uh, commercial uh, intentions. So they use it that, for propaganda? That, <laughs> that, is, that is why, yeah, uh, I think that is why uh, I think uh, the independent art is very important. And and I'm not talking about in the part of certain styles, or but but the the attitude behind the production of art, uh, if 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 it's only art for art's sake. Uh, both states and uh, the uh, high business will seek to derive uh, some uh, benefit from their from support. Mm -hmm. uh, and if, let's say, Chinese artists start prop propagandizing for the Chinese go government, it will lose international. Interest. So 
I have, I have, as an art sociologist, a, a belief in in the purity of art and the honesty of of, of art, yeah. and and uh, and I think that uh, I think I will give everybody the right to judge on this when presented uh, with. Uh, uh, works of art. So I, I, I'm very democratic in my, in my uh, view on each man's and women's right to have their own judgment on art. Dag Svordell, thank you for coming to the Cable of Poets. And thank you for watching. Remember, you can support our show at patreon.com slash cave of a palace. I'll see you next month.